0: And turn with me to Romans eight. We'll be uh, looking at the the all star passage, the all star chapter uh, of the Bible. Depending on who you ask, Uh, before we get there, just want to kind of do another check in where we are as a a church family. Many of you know we're in the process of seeking to have our church, First Baptist Church, end her race well. And uh, in that process of ending well, uh, to bless the community, bless our city, uh, and also. further the kingdom of God uh, as we as we close down the church. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not a really hard thing, a really painful thing, confusing thing and uh, but I believe it's a, a unique opportunity we have to do the work before us as a, as a church family uh, in such a way that this church can leave I believe a really positive legacy for, for generations. I think what we do the next couple months as a church family can um, could have a really awesome uh, positive impact for, for a, lot of, a lot of time to come. Just a brief update on that passage. Uh, the kind of two two uh, parts of our desire, our, our prayer uh, moving forward as a church, is uh, to have our, our building be used to meet needs in the community, uh, to you know have it full of people, you know, six seven days a week, and um, and, and have uh, uh, have resources that 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 they can get to meet their needs. Uh, and then also the second part is that we desire to uh, leave leave funds, leave our our assets in a in a designated fund. Uh, that would be used for a church plant uh, in the, in the future uh, here in big rapids so that kind of like out of this church there'd be a, a kind of a, a legacy church if you will a daughter church that would that would uh, that would go on uh, at some point in the future so I personally get excited to think about both blessing our city and like some tangible like real world needs and then also providing resources for the kingdom of God to advance in big rapids and uh, you know try not to do a bonus sermon but church planning uh, if you look at the research and statistics is just it's just hands down the, the best way to reach lost people in an area uh, i'm not saying that established churches can't or anything like that it's just like time and time again the research shows that new uh vigorous church planning efforts are, is how lost people are reached in a place and, uh, and it also strangely counterintuitively it, it also uh, revitalizes and energizes established older churches in a community. So. Uh, it makes me really sad uh, as I've kind of like tried to understand the history of the church in Big Rapids uh, that there hasn't been like a real solid uh, like church planning effort or a successful one in, in maybe 30 years or so, depending on who you ask. Um, and uh, and so the update is that it's looking like both those things those are moving forward. That it's likely that both those desires uh, can can happen. Um, so we'll give of course give, give more info as we go, but uh, that's that, that's the update. And as we announced uh, last week, uh, next Sunday, the 24th, will be our, our final Sunday gathering as a church. Um, the membership, will probably still have to get together to uh, you know, handle some of the practical details uh, of, of dissolving. But uh, we'll get together next week and worship and celebrate the gospel, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Um, and then uh, and I think we're going to have a potluck after the gathering uh, next Sunday. So we'll get you more information about that. Jeff will be bringing the, the message next week. Uh, which I'm excited about. He's, he's been faithfully serving and leading here for 40 years. Uh, so I'm excited that he, he has the honor of bringing that. Uh, I also think it will be really special uh, to, to hear from him. Uh, but that, that also means that this is the first time that I will preach at, at First Baptist Church, and, uh, which is sad, uh, but also an opportunity I'm thankful for. And I'm part, partially sad because they, they tell me in seminary that your first 200 sermons are going to be bad, just like get over yourself not going to be good. It's going to take 200 sermons to get good at preaching. And I'm like right about there. So, I feel bad that you got like my first bad 200 sermons and, you know, as a, you know, as I'm moving forward that, you know, that won't that won't be the case or whatever. So, I appreciate your grace as you listen to me preach 200 times. And as we all face the the, the future, there's just a ton of uncertainty. Uh, and then when you look at the past, I don't know if you're like me when I look uh, when it kind of a season ends or whatever. Uh, I looked at the past, I asked lots of questions, lots of doubt, lots of confusion, Um, and so I just wanted to look at this passage, this really comforting passage, and see how the gospel enables us to look at the future boldly, to look at the past boldly, and ultimately uh, to do the work that we have before us presently uh, with boldness. So picking it up in uh, Romans 8, it comes right in the middle of the book, the 16 chapters of Romans. After he's done a lot of theological work, and it's this beautiful articulation—not uh, so much of the doctrine or like theology or whatever, um, though there's a lot of that in there—but instead, it's it's trying to describe some of the realities that are true in in the gospel. Because you have the facts of the gospel, the doctrines, the information uh, of the gospel. Uh, But then you also have the, like, reality that these truths, these facts actually uh, bring about. So, like, if you got an email that said, hey, you just inherited a billion dollars, like, that's a fact. That's, like, information, you know. But then that's going to dramatically change how you live your life, like, how how you you experience reality. Because the gospel isn't ultimately uh, just information for our brain boxes, like, facts that we put in our brain and, like, that's it. Uh, ultimately the gospel is for those facts to bring us into a new reality that transforms all of our lives our sexuality and our money and our time and our relationships and our work and everything and and so that's what that's what paul i think is trying to get at a little bit in romans eight like what what is the reality for for, uh, available to us for those of us who who uh, believe the gospel and seek to follow jesus so we're going to pick it up in verse 28 romans 8 verse 28 What can we say in response to this, to the certainty in which we are saved, that the God of the universe is in the business of taking sinful, rebellious people who were hostile to him, uh, Paul says earlier in the book, and through Christ is going to conform us to the image of Jesus uh, alongside the, and glorify us alongside the king of the universe. What can we say to this? Paul is all jacked up, uh, is all excited as he launches into five questions. And What we're going to look at going forward is five questions questions to which there's just no answer, like there, there's no there's no response. John Stott, a uh, classic uh, biblical scholar, um, the 20th century says, explains the, the passage like this, Paul hurls these questions into space, as it were, in a spirit of bold defiance. He challenges anybody and everybody in heaven, earth, or hell to answer them and deny the truth, which they contain, but there is no answer for no one, and nothing can harm the people whom God has foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. So in these five questions we're going to look at, we see that God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, gives us the only way that we can look at the past, present, and future boldly. We're going to look at them out of order, though. We'll start with the future. Look at the rest of uh, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? This brings us to the future. Our first point, if you're filling in the blanks, is we can face the future boldly because God is for us. So part of my story, how I'm wired uh, and how I experience life uh, is, is that there's this underlying sense, which is a lie. There's an underlying like lie that frames a lot of how I experience the world, which is that Everything's against me. The whole world is against me. Like yesterday I put on some pants and I noticed that they still had stains from when I spilled butter on them. And I was like, ah, my pants are stained. And then in taking, trying to like change pants, I like banged my knee on a drawer and I was just like, ah, I was so mad. I wanted to like rip the countertop off. Uh, and, and it's like, you know, that just happens. That's just life or whatever. But it feels like personal, like everything is against me. But here we see, we see that God is for us. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he were to just ask the question, who can be against us? We'd be like, "Uh, a lot of people, Paul. That's a really long list. But he qualifies it with God being for us. And this changes everything, how we experience everything else. And it also doesn't mean, if we take Paul's theology in light of everything else that he's written, that God is for everybody. Uh, There's lots of scary places where we see God being very much against certain people. Uh, one place uh, that's just been like mind-blowing to consider is, is from Leviticus 26. Listen to this. This is God speaking. But if you will not listen to me and will not do these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you do not do all of my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache, you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it i will set my face against you and you shall be struck down before your enemies those who hate you shall rule over you and you shall flee when none pursues you so we see that god isn't for everybody like there's there's some, something that had to happen to make it make us move from being in that place leviticus 26 to where we are in romans 8 people who refuse to listen to God who want to do what seems right to them and not submit to God's way Uh, God's not for that God's not for those people and all of us apart from Jesus we rebel against God and I just like side note this is for free Uh, I was so I'm so struck by the bodily consequences of rebellion against God like in that passage it was like it was like a panic and a wasting disease that affects the eyes and and heartache and stuff like that. That like it's not just a soul thing that happens when we rebel against God, but we bear our rebellion against God in our bodies. And, and the beauty of our passage today shows us that for th- those who have been foreknown by God, predestined, called, justified, and glorified, that God is for us. This is the scandal. This is like reading that passage in Leviticus shows us the incredible scandal of the gospel where we move from wasting disease to being beloved children. Now, Martin Luther said that in, in the incarnation in the fact that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus, uh, that, that we see that God isn't against us. Like he came, he draws near, interacts with us on our terms. But there's a, there's, there's a difference between not being against something and actually being for something. Like there's a lot of things that you know that are out there that I'm not against. Like, uh, Greenville, North Carolina. Never been there. It's just a place on earth. Keep doing its thing. Or the trombone. Like I've never played it or listened to it much. I think it's funny when they do the like womp you know, they do the womp sound, but like I don't I don't like cheer for Greenville, North Carolina or like advocate, you know, for trombone players or something like that. I'm just like I'm not against them, but but I'm also not really for them. But then, like when it when it comes to Johnny, on the other hand, like from like deep in my bones, I am for that kid. Even when he's interrupting my sermon, Um, I love that kid, and he's been sick this past week, uh, which has just been a weird experience because he's not been himself, and he's been a mess and fussy and not not sleeping and stuff. And just like how my heart responds to this precious little boy who's just like so out of it and and miserable, it just comes from a deep place of wanting to be there with him in his suffering. Like I want to I want to hold him and comfort him and be there in like the mess and like it's like a delight to wipe his goofy nose. He, he there's a time early he was up early so I'm at the desk reading my bible and I set him in his chair and he got his little picture bible and uh and I'm just kind of journaling and reading and then he goes uh-oh uh-oh and I look over and he had kind of like coughed or sneezed and it was just like I'm not going to describe it to you but it, it needed like maybe 3 or 4 tissues to kind of handle and and it's like a delight to be the one that he tells uh-oh and the delight to be the one to grab grab the tissues. So what we see is not only in the, we see in the incarnation that God is not against us, but then we see in Jesus' resurrection that God is for us, that we move from panic and wasting disease uh, to the God of the universe in the God of the universe setting his face against us to a good, good father who delights in us and wants to be with us in our goopy noses. And so what does this do as we look to the future and wonder? We ask these questions. We look to the future. Will I be safe? Will, will, I, have, will I have what it takes to, to face whatever comes down the road? Will I be a good dad? Or And the answer is the God of the universe is for you and the risen Savior. We look to the future. We can also ask the question, will I have what I need? Will I be left alone, lacking lacking the stuff that I need for life? And that's the next question that Paul asks in verse 32. We look to the future and wonder if we'll have the resources we need. He says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What did it take for God to be for us as a father? It took his only begotten son. And so we can look at the cross and see That not only is God for us, but God is not stingy. God is generous. How many of our fears and anxieties uh, as we look at the future, they come from a a mentality of lack, like a scarcity mentality of resources are tight, I have to rein it in, it's hard to find a job, and what if my car breaks down, or you know, whatever, and um, I won't have enough, I'm not enough. And I think a lot of us face a lot of uncertainty as our church prepares to close, and you know, of course, Camille and I are in a huge vortex of, of trying to figure out lots of uncertain practical things about what's next for us. Um, but the truth of the gospel uh, comes into play as we look at the future, because along with his own son, won't God surely give us all we need? We can look at the future and laugh, like Proverbs 31 describes, or Jesus says, uh, we don't need to worry about our lives, because our Father knows what we need in the risen Christ." We see that he's undeniably generous. So, what do we do with those emotions when we feel lack, when we feel that uncertainty? Um, I, it was like hard to watch Johnny be sick this past week, and you want so badly to heal it or make it go away or, you know, uh, help the pain uh, go away or whatever. But I was just like really chewing on all week how, as miserable as he was, like how thankful I am that even in like his suffering of that sickness, I know like you know physiologically his body is like working overtime to develop his immunity so he he can grow up and not be a sickly child and that he won't you know get the same virus again and stuff like that like there's there's an element of where like god is with us in our suffering when we feel lack like the lack of you know health or or whatever uh but in his way in his loving fatherly kindness he he has us endure that lack to make us more whole I say that because I don't want it to be flippant, like, oh, God's generous, like, if you feel a lack or money's tight or whatever, then, like, just don't worry about it. We experience lack in our life, and I think, if we're honest, all of us feel like we're losing something as the, the church closes in the next uh, few weeks or months, but what do we do with that hurt, when, with that sense of lack? What story do I, do we tell ourselves, that it's someone's fault or it's my fault or or whatever, or do we draw our eyes to Jesus on the cross and see that he who didn't spare his own son, won't he graciously with him give us all things? The reality of the cross and the resurrection is that God doesn't spare us anything that we truly need. Those feeling, in those feelings of lack, of scarcity, God is most likely as a loving father inviting us to trust him and inviting us to be free from something that we've clung to more than him. The next point is that we can face the past boldly, because God won't condemn us. Sometimes, uh, when I can't sleep, uh, it's just like my mind gets kind of flooded with this low light reel of all these terrible memories, or embarrassing memories, or mistakes I've made, or things I would have done differently, or accusations that people have made against me, and it's just miserable. And, and that's like doubly true, and like as a season ends and we. And we look back on, on you know the last four years or longer uh, here at this church, and we can feel, we can feel a, lot of, a, a lot of condemnation. We'll look, at, look at these next two questions. Verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, and is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. The next two questions are who can bring charges against us? Who will bring any charge against God who God has chosen? And then who can condemn? These questions of bringing charges or condemnation give us, give us the image of a courtroom. Like if you've ever felt like you're in, a, you're in a courtroom and just like the prosecuting attorney is just like slide after slide after slide in your brain of, of terrible things that you've done or not done or whatever. But Paul doesn't actually answer the question. He just says, God, the judge who justifies. So who can bring any charges against us? It is God who justifies. When the questions of regret happen, you know, what if I'd said this? What if I hadn't said this? What if I had done something differently? Paul says, who can who can bring those charges against you? Because the judge, the only one who could actually bring charges against us has justified us in Christ. He's made us in, innocent by paying the penalty of, for our sin. And we see the resurrection in the next question. <clears throat> who is he that condemns? Who can can pile on the guilt and condemnation? Because we have Jesus there who died and more than that was raised to life and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And so in our picture of a courtroom where you have the judge on the on the stand, or uh, up on his tall chair, I don't know what it's called, bench, that's what it's called. And he's up on the bench, and then we have the defendant's table, and we have the prosecute, prosecution's table. We have a new person there, and it's Jesus. And he's there with us at the defendant's table. He, he, he rose from the dead to show that we are justified by what he did, that there was enough life left over that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. And here, here he comes to our side of the courtroom with holes in his wrists. So who could possibly be on the other side accusing us? Who could possibly be condemning us as our lawyer stands there with with wounds on his arms to pay the penalty for our sin, to wash us clean? So when the low light reel plays in my mind and the it feels like the I'm getting all kinds of condemnation in my head and from other people, and the, the prosecuting attorney has like the most, you know, thorough PowerPoint presentation. That's me doing the clicker, if you're wondering what that motion is. Uh, of of all of our sin, uh, what that shows shows me it it makes me face my resistance to grace. Like the the good news, the beauty of the risen King of the world, uh, standing and interceding for me, pierced for me for my sin, and saying to me, "And you are in me, and there's no condemnation, there's no accusations." And in, in my unbelief, I'm like, nah, I think i got to do better. I think I'm just going to beat myself up about this and, and try to like not need grace anymore. But I, what I find, and this is horrifying to admit, is that like on some level, as much as I love grace, I want to not need it. Like, I, uh, I want to resist falling into the arms of the father who, who, like in the story of the prodigal son, is like, is there with open arms waiting to wrap them around me. So I don't know where you're at as you reflect on your time in First Baptist. and What if we got on our knees and confessed our unbelief in grace or our resistance to grace and just picture, just spent time meditating on the fact that our risen Savior is, is with us. He's for us to the point where he's with us at the defendant's table interceding for us. And so from this place, free from accusations and condemnation, you get to point three that we can face the present boldly because God will never let us go. So if we can find some peace about the future because of the fact that God's for us, if we can cling to Jesus in the face of our past anxiety and, and sense of condemnation, what, what do we do with the present? Well, Paul asks the question in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he tries to answer it. He goes on to say, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He's trying to answer the question. He's throwing out possibilities. With trouble, hardship, persecution, he's, he's, caught, he's referring to just the pressures and distresses of an ungodly and hostile world. And I think, I think we'll experience even as closing the church as we seek to do this work, to do it in such a way where we bless the community and provide resources for furthering the kingdom of God, like, there's a good chance there'll be trouble or hardship. Like Just the, the fact of, and the sadness of a church closing is hardship in and of itself but that can't separate us from God's love. Next, he gets to famine or nakedness, experiencing that scarcity or lack uh, or exposure, being afraid of being exposed. Danger sword, the risk of death. Here Paul's getting at times where life feels like it's destroying us, when all we're trying to do is be faithful. Of course, we're not perfect, but we're just trying to be faithful. To get at this, he quotes from Psalm 44, which is quoted in verse 36. Look at it with me. He says, for your sake, we face, face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The psalm, in, in the context of the, uh, Psalm 44, it shows, it's this song about God's people being persecuted by pagan nations, not because they'd forgotten him, not because they like gone to foreign gods or anything like that. Uh, they were suffering because of their faithfulness, because of their loyalty to God. Can you relate to that? Have you ever experienced the point where you see faithfulness or following the way of Jesus is actually making life worse, like more painful? According to the Bible, that is very, very common. So after rattling off these seven things, Paul Paul gives us a definitive answer, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Christ we overcome these things. How do we know? I, like what? What evidence? What paradigm do we have to understand how we overcome these things? It's because he faced all of these things in the cross—the trouble, hardship, hunger, nakedness, persecution, and ultimately execution. But he didn't just like sneak through. Like he didn't just like survive. He more than conquered everything. How? Because it's through the hunger, persecution, hard times, uh, hardship and danger and sword that he brought about the redemption of the world. The very suffering of the cross brought about our path to know God as a father. He made a way for all of us to experience the steadfast, never-ending, never-fading, never-changing love of God. Now, in spite of all those love-separating things that we just went through, not in spite of them, but actually through them, Love became available to us. Paul isn't just saying, like, hang tight, Jesus is gonna help you get through it, you'll sneak out. Paul is saying, overwhelming victory is ours in Christ. We're super conquerors. So if conquering means to you know, overcome, take control, like win a battle, being a more than conqueror or a super conqueror doesn't just mean you win. It means you use the enemies against him. His own the the enemy's own weapons against him. It means the instruments that were designed for your destruction are turned upside down and instead they bring your life and your enemy's destruction. Paul is saying that through the resurrection, we see that even life's worst circumstances are working out for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. Being a super conqueror means that we we join Christ in seeing God take something like death Even death on a cross, one of the most torturous, embarrassing, shameful, exposing ways to die and turn it into the greatest symbol of victory and freedom that the world has ever known. So we can face this present work of seeking to uh, close First Baptist well and provide a a lasting, God-glorifying legacy because even when the evil looks off so strong, as the song goes, God is the ruler yet and he's a ruler who uses evil, uses the very power and energy of evil against itself. It can be like shocking to think about a church closing, but let's just put ourselves at the foot of the cross. Imagine actually standing there and seeing a flogged, destroyed body nailed to it, gasping for air by pushing up on the nails through his feet. Like, well, you know, we know the, how the story ends, but imagine being there without New Testament yet, like what senseless evil? How could this ever be redeemed? But God takes that evil in Himself in the body of Jesus and re- transforms it for good. God is the God of redemption. He can take something like the God-made flesh dying on the cross that seems like the ultimate win for the enemy, or like us, like a church dying and closing, and He can make make us super conquerors. Look how Paul wraps up, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is just exalting. He's just throwing down the gauntlet. Like He's certain, he's convinced, there's no doubt in his mind, as one who has suffered incredible hardship and persecution, as he's followed in the footsteps of Jesus. Not the pain of death, nor the suffering in life, not cosmic superhuman powers, not any time, past, present, or future, not any other power, no president, no political agenda, no war, no terrorism, no gossip or slander, whatever we might experience moving forward, no misunderstanding or confusion, not the heights of space or the depths of the sea will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord christian there's freedom in our resurrected savior there's freedom to face past present and future face it with a rooted boldness rooted in in the love that we have for us in christ let's turn our eyes from unbelief let's experience the grace of acknowledging our unbelief confessing it to god and to one another and and pray the Holy Spirit draws us deeper into the reality that we are more than conquerors because God can take our our very fear, our very anxiety, our very sense of being overwhelmed and being weak, and draw us from that into His unstoppable love, that we can be strong in our weakness. Let me pray.